If those last two songs don't get you excited, then I don't know what will. Uh, We serve an awesome God, and I hope that for each one of us, we serve that God alone and nothing else. It's so easy to allow other things to get in the way. It's so easy to allow life to get in the way of serving our God, but I hope this morning that as we worship and as we sing those words to those songs that we mean it. We will have no other gods before you. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we love you and we thank you for the blessings that we continually find, that we continually see in you and your word and the world that you have given us and everything that's around us. Father, we are in all of your glory, we're in all of your wonder, we're in all of your majesty. And Father, as we stand before you this morning, Father, we know that we are not worthy of what you have given us. And Father, we understand that that is grace, that you have given those things to us regardless of what we can give back to you. But Father, we're thankful that you give us the opportunity to give back to you praise. We're thankful that you give us the opportunity to give back to you our lives, and we uh, are thankful that you give us the opportunity to give back to you the things that we have been blessed with in this life. Father, as we go throughout our study this morning, Father, I pray that we will approach this topic and and these words with a humble heart, that we will uh, always seek to use and do what you have uh, told us to do in the way that you have guided us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done for us throughout the years And Father, we just pray that we will continue to walk with you in every step of our way in this life and give us a home with you one day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. There you find this verse. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people came putting in large sums. Before we go into the rest of the story, which I'm pretty sure all of your minds have already filled in the gaps on, you've probably heard this story on many occasions, it's something to understand that these people, this is something that had been done for years and years and years. For years, people had come to the temple and they had given their offerings. They had given their tithes, if you will. In the Old Testament, it was a, it was a commandment for them to give these tithes and these offerings back to the Lord. When we look at those things and we look at those words that are used in the Old Testament, it was a word that meant 10%. If you've ever looked at the word tithe, it means to give 10% of what you have. It was, it was commanded for them to do so in Leviticus chapter 27 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 14, that their seed, that their flock, that their fruit of their labor, whatever it was, that they were to give at least that amount. Now, in our minds, that's what that word means, but they also were known to have given more than, one, more than 12 times a month. They were known to give more, or 12 times a year rather, so more than uh, 12 months out of the year. They were giving more sometimes than just simply 10%. The 10% actually doesn't start with them, in fact. It goes back a little bit before that. When you go back to Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20, Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils of war to Melchizedek. Now, in Hebrews uh, chapter, a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 through 10, 
They're making an argument about Jesus being from the order of Melchizedek. And he actually brings this up, that, that Abraham tithed, which was long before the Old Testament uh, law, long before the old law, Abraham was giving this amount, promised to give this amount. Now, it wasn't necessarily once a year. It wasn't necessarily uh, once a month or once a week. It was just that this particular occasion he brought and he gave 10% of what God had given him back to Melchizedek, who was a priest. Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, Jacob also promised to give God a tenth of everything that he granted to him. The problem is that the, even in the old law, they gave, as I said, sometimes more than simply that amount. So whatever the case was, tithing was a practice prior to the Old Testament law, prior to the old law. It was a practice that Jesus never really condemned. It was an act of, this act of tithing, this act of giving. But in last week's story, he did address the Pharisees on this matter, didn't he? In, Psalm, uh, or in Matthew chapter 23, and we may or may not have read this particular verse, he says to them that they tithe dill and mint and cumin, but they forget the weightier parts of the law, justice, mercy, and love. He doesn't condemn their tithing. He doesn't condemn what they did, but he was condemning their attitude the rest of the time that they were making sure that they did just what they had to do, that they were giving just the amount that they had to give, but they really weren't showing it in the rest of their life in the way that they treated those around them. Even when people gave that amount, they also were giving tithes and offerings. Offerings was above and beyond the 10% that they gave. So when we look at this story and we begin this story, the New Testament never really limits or requires what we give. The New Testament never says give 10%, give 20%, give 30%. But the New Testament just simply gives us stories of people who were giving. It doesn't command us to do in a certain amount. It doesn't limit us in doing a certain amount. And so that is the setting in which this woman walks into the temple and she comes in to bring her money because what Jesus is watching is he's watching the people as they're giving. He's watching them as they're bringing in these offerings and they're dropping them probably into a metal vat of some sort. So when you say, well, they're watching and they're wondering what they give, if I were watching you give today, I wouldn't know what you gave because it might be written on a piece of paper. You might be doing so uh, online or you might be doing so with cash. And either way, I wouldn't know what that wad of cash was. But now, when that collection plate is passed around, a lot of times we know when kids give, don't we? Why do we know that? Because we hear the ching-ching, 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 right? We hear the, the coins dropping in the plate. When I was a kid, that was what I always loved to hear. Bling, you know, you throw them in there as hard as you can. Not, not telling the kids to do that. They're, all, they're in class anyway. So, you know, when they were giving, they were hearing what they were giving. So it wasn't just that they were watching them. Maybe they were bringing in some, you know, something holding all the coins and they were dumping them in, but they were at least hearing those dropping. And so they've heard all of these people and they've seen all of these people giving great amounts because they were giving coins in that day. And so they began to drop this money in and Jesus is watching them and then Jesus, it says in verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small 
copper coins, which in the New American Standard says amounted to a cent. Now, I want us to stop for just a moment. If you look at the the Greek words there, a denarius is, as you might know, a day's wage. We've talked about that before. So a denarius was a day's wage of what people would give. Modern day, that's probably getting somewhere around $58 if you make minimum wage. So we're just going to assume minimum wage, $7.25 times 8 hours, $58. Well, the problem is that one of these coins or, or two of these coins together, these would have made only 90 cents or thereabout. 90 cents of what they were of what she was giving compared to these large amounts that were being dropped into this vat. So everyone else is giving great amounts. They're hearing the change hit, and this woman comes and they hear her drop two small copper coins, calling his disciples to him. He says this to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of the contributors to the treasury, For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. A dollar. She simply put a dollar into the treasury. You see, others may have stood in judgment of that. Others may stand in judgment today of whatever amount that you drop in, whatever amount that you decide to give. Some were giving from the overflow of what they had, but she was giving all of what she had. Jesus knew her situation. He hears the two coins drop, but he knows her situation. And he knows she gave out of her poverty because she gave all that she owned, everything. He goes on to say all that she had to live on. He wanted them to understand that her giving was sacrificial. Some of the other people were giving, but it wasn't necessarily sacrificial. They were giving of the overflow. Now, Jesus wasn't necessarily condemning those doing that. Jesus didn't say that it was wrong for them to give of the overflow. He simply pointed out that we shouldn't judge what people give. He simply pointed out that we shouldn't judge the amount because we don't have any idea of what people are dealing with and what people are going through. These people, these apostles would have seen her and they would have thought, well, that wasn't very much. But Jesus knew that she was giving sacrificially. So here's the the question for us this morning. How do we give sacrificially? How do we give like the woman gave? How do we give in such a way that when we give, obviously, I don't, I don't think God necessarily expects us to give everything we have and to live in poverty. But how do we give sacrificially? How do we give above and beyond what we already are? Because I want to challenge you, because I'm in this moment not just challenging you, I'm challenging myself. I want to give more than I've given not just necessarily to the church, to the collection, but in everything, in my time, in some of the songs that we sang, I hope you caught those words, where they're talking about, we've praised God for all that he's done, but also that I'm bringing these things to you. I'm bringing my life, 
I'm bringing my, my energy, I'm bringing my service. But certainly when I bring my offering to the Lord, how do I do so sacrificially? What did she know about 90 cents, about a dollar, about a, a couple of coins that maybe we don't understand? Let me challenge you with a couple of things. It doesn't tell us that she knew these things, but I think she understood these concepts, and I hope that we will as we leave today. The first one is you can't outgive God. I know you've heard that phrase before. In fact, Charles Spurgeon long ago said, In all my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave to him. The truth of the matter is that God has already given us much more than we could ever repay to him. He doesn't require us to repay him. But when we start thinking about, well, I, I'm, I've given and it's never come and been returned to me, think about what all God has done for you. Think about the, the house you live in and the car you drive and the clothes that you're wearing. Think about the, the, the country that you live in. Think about the, the home in heaven that you have waiting for you that he gave everything so that you could have. But even at that, you go to the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God, in tithes and offerings? You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may, may, will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be delight, a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is a setting in the Old Testament, I understand that. This is a setting of the people, and this is about their land. But he says, look, if you'll just come to me, if you'll bring to me your tithes and offerings... If you will bring them to me, I promise you, you will be blessed. I promise you that you will be taken care of. Does that mean that, that we're going to have all the money in the world that we want? No, that's not what God's teaching us. In the Old Testament, he says, if you'll just bring what I've commanded you, then as a nation, I'll continue to bless you. But as his church, we understand that when we come to him and we give, that there are so many blessings that come along with that. Blessings of knowing that people are hearing the gospel in other places because of your offering. Blessings of knowing that when people are in need, they're being taken care of because of what you give. Blessings of knowing that this building, this place that, that we worship in, will be here long after you're gone to continue to encourage and to help and to build other people up in their faith. Encouragement of knowing that when we give, as Jesus said in, Matthew, or in Luke 6, verse 38, a little bit sort of out of context... But he says, when you give, it'll be given to you. When we give, it's given to us. Now, in that context, he's talking about judge not, you be not judged, condemn not, that you be not condemned and pardoned so that you will be pardoned. And then he says, and give so it'll be given to you. He says, pressed down and shaken together and overflowing. 
The idea is when we give to others, it's given back to us. When we choose to pardon others, it's pardoned back to us. When we choose to, uh, to condemn others, then we will be condemned. When we choose to judge others, then they'll judge us. But he says, if we give to others, it's given back to us. People will take care of us. Well, if people will do that, what will God do? The God who loves us and the God who has concern for us in every way, what will he do? If you, Jesus says, Matthew 7 and verse 11, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? The truth is that God has blessed us beyond our imagination already, and he will continue to do so. I don't know how and in every way that he will do that, but God continues to bless us when we choose to give give him our energy, our time, our money. He continues to bless us. You can't outgive him because he's already far outgiven us. The second thing I think that she understood is my stuff's not mine to begin with. It wasn't hers. She knew that. She knew that God had only blessed her with those things. You can't outgive God because everything that you have is from Him. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, James tells us, 1 in verse 17. Now, whether that's the, the spiritual blessings, which absolutely they come from God, But name something that that you have that didn't come from God. So, well, God didn't make that car, but God made all the elements that make that car. Well, God didn't make my supper last night, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, according to Psalm 50. You know what? All of the things that are on this planet, God made, and they belong to Him. Everything that you have and everything that you touch and everything that's in this building, it may go away one day, It may be something that someone else handcrafted, but they made it out of something that God gave them to make it out of. Everything that we touch, everything that we have is here because God made it. And so when she gave those two coins, when she handed those two coins back to God, she understood that they weren't hers to begin with. We often, and me included, hold tightly to what we have. We're only fooling ourselves when we believe that it's ours. She understood that it wasn't hers to begin with. Let me prove that to you with some scripture. Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. You've probably heard this story on many occasions as well. Beginning in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Man, we fight about money, don't we? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what family you're in. You've probably had these sorts of issues with friends or with family. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter over you? Then he said to him, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Look, even when you got a lot of stuff, that's not your life. That's not what makes you. That's not what makes you great. That's not what makes you small. It doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account. And then he told this parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own all that you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We don't take it with us. He says, look, this guy's going to store up all this stuff, and yet when he dies, he dies like everybody else. And nothing goes with him. Now, they used to bury the riches in the tombs of the great pharaohs or other kings. But you go dig that tomb up or open that tomb up, and guess what's still there? All his riches. If somebody else hadn't looted it by now, they're all gone. They're all there. They're still on this planet somewhere because you can't take it with you when you die. Nobody can take what they have with them. Therefore, those riches aren't really mine. They've just been given to me to use them. And as one song we sing, we didn't sing it this morning, says that, that he's given us those things to use them to brighten my life. Remind me to give them back to him. Remind me that they belong to him. They're just blessings that he's given me. In a little different context, Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 8, freely you've received, freely give. He's talking to the disciples about going out, teaching and about healing and about helping. He says, look what you've been given. You've been given freedom. You've been given this life in Christ. You've been given these blessings. Now give to others. If we have been given blessings, shouldn't we be turning them around to other people? If God's blessed us and the people before us have blessed us, then shouldn't we bless the lives of those who are coming behind us? Tim Keller says, A lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but God's. It refuses us to understand that key principle. They're not ours. They're just being borrowed. She also understood that God would take care of her. John MacArthur said, God made all of his creation to give. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the earth, and the plants to give. He also designated his supreme creation, man, to give. But fallen man is the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because mankind is the only part of God's creation that doubts God, that doubts that God will supply what it needs. The plants don't doubt Him. The animals don't doubt Him. The sun and the moon and the stars, they don't doubt Him, and so they continue to give. They continue to give what they have been given to give. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, we just read this parable, but beginning in verse 22, then Jesus transitions and says this to the crowd. He says to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor to your body as to what you will put on, nor for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than these birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot 
do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed, had clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You men of little faith, and do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will keep, uh, and do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. So you've heard this before, right? But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And so he says to his disciples, sell your possessions and give them to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, he takes care of the birds, and he takes care of the grass, but yet we sometimes doubt that he's going to take care of us in the way that we live and what we do. And moving into, in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 19, David is asking for offerings. Their, their offerings are, are being given to the temple and to the building of the temple. And if you go there briefly, we don't have time to look at all of those verses this morning. But if you go there with me for just a moment as they're asking for these things. David is, is praying, and he says, he says several things about God, and, and, and it kind of ties into what we did in our worship this morning as we praised him for all that he's done. He says, yours, O Lord, verse 11, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heavens and on earth, yours is the dominion. O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, your God, we praise you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things have come from you, and from your hand, we have given you. That's interesting, isn't it? It ties in all these things that we've said. Look, God's going to take care of you because everything that we have to even give back to you for the temple, he says, you gave to us. So it's really you giving to you. As you gave to us, we gave back to you. As you gave things for us to live on, we are now giving these things back to you because we're not worthy to give you anything. But the things that we give back to you are yours to begin with. And so here they are. And God, David understood that God takes care of us and gives us what we can give. And here's the last thing that I think she understood. The last thing is that giving is a matter of the heart. When we go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you're, you're well familiar, I'm sure, with this verse as well. Beginning in verse 6, it simply says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly 
not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. What does he say in this passage? If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. God is able to make all the grace abound to you. He supplies seed for the sower. But did you notice and did you catch the most important part of this passage? It's that giving is really a matter of the heart. It's what you purpose in your heart. It's what you simply decide that you're going to give. This is what I can and will give back and will stick to. If you challenge yourself by what you see in the Scripture today, then challenge yourself to do more. How can I give more of my time? How can I give more to the Lord on Sunday? How can I give more in, in my energy and the things that I do through the week? How can I give more to Him? Because giving is a matter of the heart. Don't feel bad about the amount, but think about what you can do. Think about how much more you can do, because God doesn't want you to do it grudgingly. He doesn't want you to put it in there and be mad about it. He wants you to give cheerfully. He wants you to be excited about what you give. He wants you to be excited about the energy that you use for him. He wants you to be excited about the money that you put towards the things, the work of the church. He wants you to be excited to give to the poor person who's asking or who's needing. He wants you to be excited about what you give because you know that there's a difference being made. That's what he wants. I want you to look at one last passage with me. I really want you to turn here. Proverbs chapter 3. Because we quote Proverbs chapter 3 an awful lot. I know I do. I love it. I love this passage and I, I use it a ton probably overuse it sometimes, but I'm not sure you can overuse a scripture. But in verse 5, you could probably finish it when I start it. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Trust in God. That's what we've been saying all morning, right? Trust in Him. Have you ever noticed what the next verse says? Look at it. Verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We want to stop at verse 8, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I trust in God. Well, then honor Him with what He's given you. If you trust in Him, then honor Him with what He's given you. C.S. Lewis wrote, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare.
when we think about what is that amount, we need to think about what is it that would be a sacrificial amount? What is it that's giving back from the heart, not grudgingly, but understanding that I give sparingly, I reap sparingly? If we give sparingly, the work of the church can only go so far. The work that we do, the things that we provide for can only go so far. Why don't we do more for this and more for that? Because maybe we're sowing sparingly. But if we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. How do we get to that mindset? Well, one, you can't outgive God. Two, your stuff is not yours. Three, God will take care of you. And four, we've got to first start with the heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Maybe today you haven't been trusting in Him, whether it's your giving or whether it's the way that you live your life Monday through Saturday. Maybe there's something that you've not been doing exactly the way that you know God has called you to do it. And this morning, for whatever reason, you've got that on your heart and you need to take care of it. We want to encourage you to live for Him every single day and in every way. Maybe this morning you've never given your life to Christ to begin with. If you haven't, then we ask that you come believing in Him, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, just like the Bible teaches us. And like Acts chapter 2 teaches us, they repented and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If we can assist you in one of those things, if we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?